This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm Peggy Hodgkins, and today we are talking about biological soil crusts. We discuss the science being done to preserve and restore these fragile crusts in the face of a warming and drying climate, as well as increased human activity. My name is Anita Antoninka, and I'm an assistant research professor in the School of Forestry at Northern Arizona University. I'm a soil ecologist. I did my PhD work looking at how important soil communities, mycorrhizal fungi, are impacted by anthropogenic enrichment of CO2 and nitrogen. Um, And that got me thinking about that plant soil interface and how important that area is. And then in my postdoc work, I was lucky to be able to work with some of the best biocrust researchers around the, uh, the country and some in the world. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years or so. So my focus has really been on using soil organisms in restoration and particularly in, in drylands and with a, a mind for climate resilience. Excellent. Thank you so much. You know, most most listeners to this podcast, especially here on the Colorado Plateau, are, are very, very familiar with biological soil crusts and mm-hmm. how important they are in a in the arid desert environment. But just for completeness, <laughs> I'd love to hear your definition of what 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 are we talking about when we say biological soil crust? So first of all, they're beautiful and adorable. And if you haven't gotten down on your knees to look at them, please do. You'll be surprised at the diversity and just the textures and colors that they they offer, especially up on the Colorado Plateau. And for the BioCrest curious, there's a new paper that you should read with a new definition of of BioCrest that's by Weber et al. that just came out in 2022. And it's a really nice read, but I'll give you my definition. Um, Biological soil crust or BioCrest is really a community or consortium of organisms, including mosses, lichen, cyanobacteria, algae that live together and bind that top millimeter and top five millimeters of soil together. They're really critical in dryland ecosystems and can make up a, a good majority of the biomass of photosynthetic organisms. They live in the inner spaces between plants. And I think one of the key characteristics is that they're on mineral soil, so you don't find them on organic soil. They're binding that that uh, mineral soil together. They are really important in conducting our soil aggregation, so keeping the soil in place, keeping water from moving soil out of place, keeping water also in place, fixing carbon through photosynthesis, fertilizing the soil through nitrogen fixation, and then also contributing to soil fertility through collecting dust that has nutrients in it. And a lot of your work is centered on at NAU's Forest Rangeland Soil Ecology Lab. Mm-hmm. What's that all about? What What's going on there? So we're a big group. Matt Bowker is the founder and the lead of that that research group. And I've been lucky to continue to work with him after my postdoc. And now I'm an assistant research professor, but we continue to work together. I think you know that drylands encompass um, more than just deserts. And a lot of that is rangeland where there's cattle grazing or mineral exploration that can affect the integrity of the landscape. And so we've been working together to develop technologies to restore these damaged drylands. And that includes forests too. Here on the Colorado Plateau, there's a lot of forest fires that are leading to 
a loss of soil, loss of soil stability and, and erosion on the landscape. And biocrest can be early colonizers in those systems too, and can be really important for that rehabilitation process. Yeah. I mean, what are some of the rehabilitation projects you're looking at? What are some of the logistics in terms of how you're going about trying to restore areas that have been damaged? So there's a lot of different things that go into thinking about an ecosystem and how to restore it. The first thing would be to assess what are the the major issues on the landscape and what are the major limitations to getting restoration to work. So for example, if you have active soil erosion, the first thing that you have to do is figure out a way to stabilize the soil so that you can get organisms to colonize and, and survive there. So those are the sorts of things that we think about as, as we prepare a recipe for restoration. One of the things that also comes into play often is, are there any biocrusts that we can actually use in the restoration? And if it's very limited, then what we'll do is we'll salvage and cultivate more biocrust. We've, we've been working a lot on that area, growing up biocrust in ways that we can maximize their growth in the most rapid way possible so we can grow up a more mature biocrust in a few months by reducing water limitation, nutrient limitation, and competition with the, the surrounding plants. And then the next piece of that is cultivating in a way that when we put them back out on the landscape, they'll survive. So thinking about just like your tomato plants, when you put them out in the garden, you don't just take them from your windowsill and then put them directly out in the garden. You give them a period of hardening. So we've been working on ways that we can harden the biocrust to be resilient out in this harsh landscape of the, the dry lands, and then also ways that we can kind of soften the environment. So for example, adding shade in some way can help them to get established a little bit more quickly. Other things that we're, we're working on and thinking about are ways that we can use existing technologies. So for example, we've been working on a mine site and we actually were able to harvest biocrust for restoration using a front end loader, which was pretty remarkable. And just thinking about, you know, using machines and how can we do this to scale up and make the process more efficient is something we've been thinking about. Interactions with vascular plants. Yeah, that's a really important one that we've been thinking about. And using what we know from plant restoration efforts is is informing what we're trying. For example, um, making biocrust pellets or uh, seed balls, so to speak, to distribute on the landscape. And then up here in the forest lands, we're working on reestablishing mosses in particular that are an early successional species and can be considered a biocrust because they have such incredible water holding capacity. And they can also, you know, carry the symbionts that the vascular plants need to be able to reestablish the, that community after after a fire. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing these impacts of um, the changing climate on these species. I mean, apart from the, the restoration efforts that you have, is there anything you can do proactively to uh, help these communities? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think... Um, one of the things that we kind of get lost in as scientists is we're always looking to do something and be active and figure out ways to, to fix damaged ecosystems. But I guess maybe the first thing that we can consider is reducing our footprint. You know, if we can conserve lands and stop activity on lands that are in good shape, we can 
keep biocrest communities intact and the vascular plant communities and functions intact. If we think about, you know, climate change and how it's happening, it is kind of slow. And these organisms are able to clone and move as disturbance happens. It's not like we can see biocrest moving up in elevation or moving to milder climates, but we do know that in the experiments that we've done with climate manipulations, where we put species and communities from hot climates and cooler climates, they do well there. So if we just leave things alone, there's a chance that the right organisms are going to find their way in and keep the ecosystems functioning, even if it is a different set of the community. So I guess conservation is something I'd say. And then I guess the other thing I'd say is where we see that we're starting to cause damage, removing that disturbance removing that activity that is causing the disturbance and just leaving it alone. Oftentimes, if you don't have active soil erosion, the community can reset itself through time. It takes time, but it can happen. Right. Um, yeah. Well, we're talking about land management and stuff. Um, what, I mean, in terms of the forest management strategies that are out there, how are those strategies impacting the biological soil crust? Well, it's a diverse management system on our public land. So the Forest Service has a mandate to do many things. It's not really conservation focused. It's managing for productivity and for extraction and for recreation and all of these different things, um, ecosystem health being one of them. And so it's kind of a complicated recipe and, and thought on how do you do this. Um, but I, I think Forest Service for sure and Bureau of Land Management, these agencies have been really thoughtful, I think, in thinking about what is the future and how do you make sure that we're, we're thinking about climate change and land use together and recipes for management and recipes for restoration. Uh, we partner a lot with the land agencies. We have had projects with Forest Service, with Park Service, with with BLM, among other agencies, because I think they recognize that Biocrest has to be part of the solution, especially in the, the Southwest. The managers, they see the writing on the wall and they're, they're doing a good job to try to think about what needs to happen and put action into place. Yeah. And they're actually seeking uh, advice from uh, scientists, experts, which is encouraging for sure. Yeah. And so what are some new emerging type of research topics that you are looking at at, the, at your lab or some of, you know, your fellow scientists there? What are, what are some new topics we could talk about? Well, I guess one of the things that I'm most excited about recently, I've been working with Dr. Bridget Barker, who's an ex expert on coccidioides, which wow. is a fungus that's found in dryland soils that when it gets airborne, you people breathe it in and it can cause a disease called valley fever. She's been working a lot to figure out the ecology of this organism. And I've been recently working with her on trying to understand if we can use some environmental remediation with Biocrest to reduce the exposure of humans to coccidioides and potentially, you know, create those interactions in the soil where the microbes and biocrust would outcompete the coccidioides or something like that. And we're just getting started on this, but we know that this is really an emerging disease of concern. I mean, it's not new, but it's spreading because of, of land degradation and climate change. And it is prevalent in some of the same places that we're missing our biocrust for the same reasons. The disturbed soil surface leads to airborne dust and then a valley fever can get into people's lungs. 
So we've been working on biocrest restoration methods and testing if our restored biocrest reduced coccidioides in the soil, improved the soil stability that would reduce the airborne soil and dust. And then we're just starting to look at the impacts and the interactions with the microbial community. So I think that's pretty exciting and has the potential to have some some good outcomes for humans that are exposed to dust a lot in the dry lands. Bridget's been doing a lot of sampling across the West, and there are places that are hot spots, and they're all disturbed. Um, and so we're just trying to work it and see if we can target those hot spots, restore the active biocrust community, and see how that interacts. When you talk about reestablishing a biocrust community, you you had mentioned pellets and a few other ways, but can you narrow down, like, what are some of the the concrete ways you go about trying to reestablish these communities? I'll tell you, this is still an emerging field. We've been working hard on this, especially over the last decade, and we're making progress, but I won't say that we have like a recipe that works in every context. Some of the most promising things that we know it, with our cultivated biocrust, uh, the cyanobacteria seem to be the most able to reestablish out on the landscape. Mosses and lichens less so, but we're working on that and ways that we can increase their establishment are by offering things like shade and ways to bind them immediately to the soil. So for example, we've been using um, soil binders, tachyphires like psyllium husk, which is basically the same thing that's in in Metamucil. It's just kind of a a natural slime that um, interacts with water and can hold the biocrust in place until water comes along and allows it to be active. So that's kind of one of the tricky things that we have is that the activity time of biocrust is really limited to when it's wet and cool. And so that's not even every year, right, that they have a good opportunity to establish. Um, so if we can hold them in place and let them hold on for the dry periods, then we see better establishment. So we've been working on some of that. We're also creating sods, so to speak, yeah. uh, where we kind of grow biocrusts on some sort of a biodegradable material. Okay. And then we can roll them out onto the landscape, staple them in place. And at least for that area, get an island that, that biocrusts can establish out from. I mean, um, this might show my ignorance, but doesn't it take a while to get biocrust growing? I mean, when you're growing it in the lab, what are your, what are your lead times? I mean, how, yeah, how long does it take to get something that you can then transfer into the field? Okay. So here's what we know about biocrust. The reason that there's so such slow growers on the landscape is because they're limited in activity time. Those times when it's cool and when it's wet and that they can actually photosynthesize and build biomass. And the reason you see them in dry lands is because they're tolerant to being dry for a large portion of the time. So unlike vascular plants that that will die if water is limiting for too long, biocrest can kind of hold on. And that's why we see them in places where plants don't thrive as well. So if we bring them into the lab or the greenhouse, or we also are doing field cultivation and give them an abundance of water and nutrients, we can grow them up actually pretty rapidly. We can get fairly mature biocrest with all the functional groups present and, you know, pretty heavy cover after about, you know, two to three months. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so you're giving it all, it's, it's not waiting on nature. It's got everything it needs to grow. Yep. And because it is tolerant, you throw it out in a dry environment, it'll hang out there until the right time comes to start growing again, I guess. 
Yeah, assuming it doesn't blow away. And that's one of the things that we've been working on, right? To try to get them to hold on until the right conditions are there. Is that what the psyllium was used for to kind of anchor it to the ground? Okay. Yeah, that that's one way. So yeah, for sure we use um, these soil, they're called tachifiers. Okay. Um, and we've tested this a bunch and it is effective. We've also done things like put biocrest out with a jute covering which is basically just a coarse fiber net. Um, and then you would staple that in, in, in the ground with just ground staples or something like that to put over the bio crust to keep it in place and also provide a little shade and a little kind of a milder environment than it would encounter in just a bare open soil surface. So we've been working on a lot of that stuff. And I think that the short answer is we still have a ways to go until we're at a place where we can make um, broad recommendations, but I think we're, we're we are making some some real strides and progress, and we can see those those efforts paying off. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. Anything up uh, in the future that you're looking forward to starting some research on, or mm -hmm. students or comrades that are doing anything we should know about? Yeah, we have a really active lab. I think uh, uh, Matt Bowker, who is uh, the co lead of this group, is really active. He's been working a lot on the fire moss stuff, and I've been helping a little bit with that. We have a PhD student on, on that project. We've also been working in collaboration with California BLM and the Mojave Desert. We're trying to work with dry land fires and restoration in these dry lands. Like for example, we're going to be working on Sema Dome on the fire in the Mojave that took out so many of the Joshua trees to see if we can get Biocrest back in and, and help to support the restoration of that damaged ecosystem. We're also working with renewable resources. So trying to work with solar, for example, to minimize the amount of damage that has to happen when you put in a solar farm. So for example, if you have biocrust under the solar panels, you're probably not going to have weeds. And so you don't have to herbicide. Um, and so we've been, we've been working on some of that as well. Yeah. I don't know. We're just trying to uh, branch out as far and wide as we can, because I think it's important to understand the thresholds of this work and where things are going to succeed and where the limitations come into play. And one of the really cool things about the Biocrest research community is that it is super collaborative. And so I think, you know, we have this really cool niche of cutting edge science, restoration minded science as well. And the land management community is really active in it. I think that's one of the things that it gives me hope is that there, there are a lot of people recognizing that this is important and it's not just scientists talking to scientists, it's right. scientists engaging with land managers and land managers asking for help. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's critical to make anything fly. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's great. Mm -hmm. Well, Nita, I really appreciate you talking with Science Moab and yeah, updating us on some of the current work with Biocrest. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for taking time and for your interest in BioCrest. They're really cool. <laughs> get out and get on your knees. Take a look. This episode of Science Moab is sponsored in part by Wildland Trekking, unforgettable hiking vacations. To learn more or listen to other Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Our theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding, and the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. 
And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.